critical insight was you had to keep the trains moving like a network. So you have to keep keep latency low. Before, what they used to do is they would wait for a really big train to build. So think, you know, like 100 cars, and then they'd send it off. Instead, what he said is, no, no, no if it's 20 cars or if it's 30 cars or if it's 40 cars, it's, it just goes off at the same time each day. And you've got to keep the network moving so you keep latency low. And that's the way I think about running a financial network is you want to keep latency low. And so when you're running a finance business and your capital is held, so you want to keep network uptime, which is the amount of time your finance is deployed. I said, uh... Hi, sir. Thanks for joining the first episode of Let's Get Real with Polytrade. Uh, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a pleasure. Okay. I think we started. Yeah, we kicked off. Yeah, so... Um, Go ahead, Ashish. First of all, I just want to, like, you know, I'm off topic. Like, how was it raising, man, again in this market? <laughs> it might have been hectic. I was raising. <laughs> it was tough. We, um, you know... Uh, we, we, we kicked it off sooner than we expected. Like, I think we, we were planning to do it later in the year, like this sort of, you know, coming up to like this period of the year, but we took stock of how bad the situation was. And we we're like, well, we, ca we can't underwrite that it's not going to get worse, uh, because the, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a very, uh, fluid economic situation and all the Silicon Valley bank stuff had just been happening. So we, we said, okay, well, we better, we better get cracking on this thing and go hard. And then valuations were tough. So valuations, overall size had to come in. Um, and, uh, but I think the, the, the firms or the funds that have a real thesis around lending and RWAs are still true believers in the space. And so that, that was ultimately where the support came from. So, you know, Block Tower, uh, co-led, uh, you know, we already had a pretty good relationship with them. And then other newer firms like Tioga was a new one for us. And there are a couple of other new firms who, who came in and participated. Uh, so in the end, I think you can't, you can't optimize it in this market. You just have to get it done and it's going to be coarser and a little bit worse than you expect. But the main thing is just live to fight another day. Yeah, I, I talked to a number of fun. I talked to a number of so um, startups at the moment who were kind of saying, well, you know, we've, we've got like six to 12 months runway and we're, we're thinking we will go out and start raising in a couple of months. And I'm saying you should start raising tomorrow. You should, you know, you should be treating it as it's going to take two or three times as long as you expect. And you might raise, you know, only half of what you, you really want to. Yeah, yeah. How was it different like raising this time? Uh the the last time we did a proper raise was earlier in the bull market so it was 20 mid 2021 so things were much more you know the the whole environment was easier because the ocean was pulling all ships up so raising was not difficult valuations were much higher and uh and also we we were earlier in our journey so there were a lot more tough questions now about you know hey this default happened on the platform last year and uh People have gone really far, you know, people have gone wide away from lending. So, you know, why, why is this actually going to, going to exist and, and thrive? Because remember, you know, there's a big narrative around RWAs, but there's actually not a ton of activity happening at the moment. Whereas yeah. before, 
we could position ourselves as, as a competitor to Genesis and Celsius and BlockFi. And there were billions of dollars in Aave. And so there, you, didn't, you didn't have to go and argue the case for why lending would even occur on chain. Whereas now, um, you know, now you're, you're, you're expected to do that in, in fundraising conversations. Also, you know, having, having a token. And so, you know, the, the regulatory environment's definitely tougher now. Um, with all the regulation by enforcement, and so then there's a lot more questions around. Before it was, before it was a given that you needed a token for liquidity mining. Now people will push back much harder on, you know, what is the token doing? How does it fit in the ecosystem? I do still think tokens, you know, token-based networks are required for this, particularly for global scale. Um, but that's just now more of a contrary opinion rather than kind of the uh, the table stakes opinion. What's really interesting is uh, on your point, like both your leads, I'm, I'm guessing Block Tower and uh, Tioga, right? Both Tioga, of them have a yeah. hardcore out of the way thesis, right? I think Tioga is also um, yeah. you know, in, in a few out of the way projects, right? So, so these are hardcore yeah. backers and that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that was good because they, you know, they, they believed in it. And so then the question just came down to, you know, their team specific due diligence and uh, negotiations around valuation and, and more of the commercial terms. Um, whereas, you know, teams, teams who are, you know, let's call, let's call it thematically driven or, or rather are trying to, trying to be across multiple thematics are, you know, they're much more skeptical at the moment of, of lending and, and RWA. So they, they like to, you know, they, they like to educate themselves on it, but they don't actually want to put any money behind the RWA stuff you know, is, is, is other funds at the moment. Whereas before you would have both the hardcore RWA firms and then you'd have the, you know, the generalist firms who just want to pick up some exposure to it. Yeah. So I think uh, one of the things you mentioned while you were talking was um, how everybody is like, like, like we said, we were also saying the same thing, like how everybody is tokenizing, but very few of them are buying. And uh, even when, even in the last conversation we had there, uh, what do you think is the reason? Like, like, is it education? Is it availability? Um, where do you think is that we're lacking the people to get in? Like, and also follow up on that would be like, uh, where do you think this next wave of liquidity will come for RWA? Is it the institutional side or do you think retail will come back in? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I think the re- the reason people aren't buying at the moment is that if you look at it, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of venture firms who want to learn about RWA and they're, you know, they're playing for, they require 10, 20 plus percent IRR. And so they're, they're not set up to actually buy the deals. So they, you know, they, yeah. they will buy the, the RWA platform or they'll buy the, the token in the network or they'll, they'll buy equity in an RWA originator, but they're not actually like participating in the, in uh, the fixed income or the lending side of it. And so what we what we actually need is more capital formation around yield funds. A lot of them were formed during 2021, 2020, 2020, 2021 into like early 2022. But they, they had these ideas that they were going to hit hurdles of like 15 to 20 percent. And so really, they were actually set up to take advantage of yield mark, yield farming and liquidity mining. And then when you when you show them a deal at present, an RWA could get maybe call it between nine to 12 or nine to 13 percent and that's like just short of their hurdle and so a lot of those funds either had to wind up um or or look for other opportunities so what we actually need 
my view in the space is um, we need new new capital formation and new funds that are focused on on fixed income, which I think we will get in the next cycle because a lot of people pick up on the opportunities. And um, the other thing is we need to do a better job of educating people on the difference yeah. between fixed income and lending on chain and uh, lending in traditional credit. So if you look at a traditional credit fund, you know, it could be like a two and 20 structure, or maybe it's like an 8% hurdle and then 50% profit share. But the, um, the lending opportunities on chain are pretty much, you know, they might be all variable cost. So like, if you look at how Maple's doing it, then, you know, we have uh, the accru pool, the AQRU pool, and that's pretty much all variable cost where you receive, the pool receives a hundred bucks of interest and then the lenders get about 80, $80 worth of that. So they're taking home about 80%, but it's entirely variable cost. And they can get their money out much sooner than a credit fund. A credit fund might be a three to five year lockup. So in on-chain opportunities, and I think this is what everyone in the space doing RWA should highlight, is you get your liquidity back quicker, um, You get, as in you get your capital back quicker, and then the fee structure is mostly variable. There's not a, a you know, you're not bleeding one to 2% a year whilst the, the, you know, whilst the platform is just sitting on your funds in the same way that like a traditional credit fund is. So I think there's actually some good advantages there just over a comp comparable TradFi products that should be highlighted <laughs> better. Um, not, 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 to, not to bang on too long, but I think institutions will come in and it will probably be more um, uh, funds, so like hedge fund type, um, hedge fund type entities who want to get, you know, 10, 12% for their clients. So they're trying to beat, they're trying to beat treasuries in a meaningful way with like a better call it, you know, sharp adjusted ratio or a sharp ratio. Um, the really big TradFi guys, I think would be slower to come in just because they're still not over the kind of the compliance side of things where it's, you know, compliance risk, DPEG risk is another one that I get asked about a lot still. And uh, I think also high net worths will come in because you've got a lot of folks who made money in crypto. Let's say they made 20 million yeah. off Bitcoin or ETH. And now they have they have enough to ensure a good lifestyle for the rest of their lives. So what are they focused on? They want capital protection and they want to get a yield that beats inflation. Yeah, I, I think DJs are like, they're still ready to bet the 20 million in, man. <laughs> but, uh... yeah, yeah. but the DJs want like a, they want an eye popping yield. And so yeah, yeah, they'll, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't want a solid 11%. They want, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, 20, 20% and change. Yeah, so I think that's where initially one of us, all of us, when we started the RWA journey, I think that's what we were missing. I think the TG that we were selling to is the TG that doesn't want constant yields. They want to risk their money, get higher yields. And yeah, I think yeah. over a period of this curve, I've understood at least we all have understood that um, either we need to find a better, newer capital to get into real world assets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Comparing real world assets to the DeFi story is not the right comparison because where they are saying that I can get my money out of an, at an instant with Aave is is there is no comparison when you compare it to a real world asset, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think yeah. that's also yeah. a journey that we have learned. At least my my take on it, Milan. Also, also people people in even in this space, like you see some quite sophisticated traders on uh, on Twitter. And even after there was that default of the um, the Africa-based originator on one of the other platforms, yeah. they 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 didn't 
the the traders all came out and said, well, this shows like lending is a waste of time. And it's like, well, if you had a if you had a diversified portfolio and you were across all of the pools on Goldfinch or any one of these other platforms, maybe you had maybe that was like a five percent loss. Um, yeah. And your overall net yield um, compensates you. So maybe the net maybe the gross yield was ten percent you're making, and then maybe the net yield is five percent after that loss. But yeah. they they then come out and start throwing out these complex trading strategies, which they say are less risk. But it's yeah. like if you if you, if you're one if you're holding a venture portfolio, I can guarantee you most of the venture funds in this space are going to go to zero over a period of ten years, or or not go to zero, but they're going to make they're going to make less than they're going to make less than a, a, a higher than one MOU or um, MOIC, I should say. Um, like a lot of them, a lot of them are going to offer principal losses to yeah. their clients after five or ten, you know, five or seven years, however long the lockup is. And then you that's look at the traders. Diet, yeah, even, yeah, that, even that's exactly right. That's so, so the, that, yeah. that's how. Yeah, yeah. you're you're hundred percent right. But the, but they come out and they say, oh no 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 no. Like um, lending's too risky because I could lose my capital. They don't grok that you can also lose your capital in venture. It just takes five years to play out, and um, so that that that's kind of that's kind of one one aspect. But then also there there are traders who then try and set up these like complex market mutual structures, but they still like risk is risk. Um, it's fungible. If you lose a dollar for op risk because you had it on an exchange that folded, you still lost, you know, you still lost, let's say 10% of your funds. And so it doesn't differentiate between how you lost your funds. And so I think lending gets a bad rap, but the other, the other, um, let's say sources of opportunity for investors in the space are like artificially treated as lower risk than they are. Like the number of market neutral traders who blew up in 2022 was crazy. And all of them were ostensibly doing something. It should have been, you know, riskless. They shouldn't have had down months. Yeah. I think, I think the, the one of the reasons why, why we are getting shorter cycles in um, Web3, at least from the investor side, is that all the money that is coming in is coming with a timeline. I think every time, whenever an investor, at least that's, that's where the money starts. Like when the when the ball rolls in Web two, uh, you know that the money is here to stay, right? So the guys who are building, they take their time, they take their journey, they go through a cycle. But I think in Web three, what is happening is at least for my end, um, a lot of money that is coming in is coming with a timeline. So the guy needs mm-hmm. to do something uh, out of the box to get the returns quicker because he knows if he doesn't do that, he will, the money will be gone, right? Um, yeah. So it is not giving it the true time to settle in and make us get into a cycle that is going to be the growth cycle rather than an innovation cycle, which we are always. Yeah. It's like gamb- it's gambler, gambler's fallacy that people are trying to make yeah. their returns yeah. too, too quickly. And, uh, and yeah. And, and also, you know, crypto is so new that you're evaluating it on, you only have a, a small number of years to actually go off. Whereas all of these other asset classes have much longer lives i will say though having read a lot of financial history there are certain asset classes that i think people don't understand the true risk of you know for example sovereign debt so everyone says well you know u.s sovereign debt is great which it is at the moment very you know very good risk adjusted yield but as an asset class sovereign debt still has defaults you know argentina perennial defaulter a lot of latam perennially defaults 
even Europe, you know, Germany defaulted in the 1930s. And as you read financial history, there's a lot of examples of big banks that were holding sovereign debt that defaulted. You know, JP Morgan suffered a lot of balance sheet loss on um, German debt that defaulted in the 1930s. And so there's, there's no safe asset class. What I would just encourage people to do is you should think about every asset class from first principles and lending and fixed income on chain is no different. There are like good pockets of great opportunity there. The the kind of depth you're talking with is, is, I think, I think these DJs that we're talking about for them, it's either, you know, hit 20%, hit 15 to 20%, or if not, I'm just going to keep it in our way because that's what I understand. They don't have, you need to get a new set of investors, like you said, who understand risk from a traditional background, right? Those guys need to come on chain and start doing this because this is a really, so the kind of stuff you're talking about is a very large education curve for, for you know, the, mm. the native people out there who've made their money in crypto, right? I think that the kind of buckets they think about is VC, yeah, right? Let's get 100x. Or if it's going to be yield farming, let's get 30x, let's get 20x. And if not, I'm just going to put it in our way because that's what I understand, right? Then I don't even know, yeah. uh, you know, maybe we can move over to T-bills now, but how many of them, you know, T-bills is probably the easiest asset class for someone to understand from the traditional world, right? Do they, are, are these the natives who are coming in? Uh, I know you guys have done a brilliant job on, on you know, your cash management pool. So are these the native crypto investors who are coming in, like you said, who made money uh, in crypto? Uh, you know, I think you mentioned their DAOs and so forth, right? So is are these the guys who are coming in into T-Build as well now? It is. It is. T-Builds are attracting a mix of lenders and depositors. So you have... We've got, there's a DAO in the Maple. So the Maple cash management pool is about 24 mil at the moment. And um, uh, the lenders depositing in, so we've got a couple of DAOs. And so they like it for treasury management. Uh, You know, a DAO doesn't have a a great range of opportunities across traditional finance. Then we've got startups who are like seed and series A stage. And so again, they want it for treasure conservative treasury management where they can get liquidity back quickly yeah. they can see the collateral in our in, in maple's instance the cash management pool is structured as a loan collateralized by t-bills and uh reverse repo and uh and then the other one is offshore high net worth so they want to keep funds in stables instead of um instead of shifting it through the banking system and, uh, and so, you know, again, they, they just like a conservative yield and, and, a, and a liquid place to park cash for a while. So that's a very important lesson there for early stage startups. Don't keep your money in crypto, put it somewhere which is stable. <laughs> I think that's a big lesson to whoever's raising money uh, through crypto right there. Um, so yeah. I'll follow up on that, Say, you know, there are now, I think, four or five major protocols doing T-Bills, right? Um, you know, pick, yeah. pick a few names. Ondo, Open Eden, uh, I think I think Benji is something completely different. Um, but yeah. you know these two or three instances, like how would you compare the approaches they've taken, and and, and what do you what do you think um, you know are important differences for investors to understand between these? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm definitely going to be biased, but I'll I'll try I'll try and do a. Uh, I'll try and do a, a fair representation of all of the other players in the market without being overly shilly. So the way that Maple structured it was, as I said, you, you lend into a pool. So you're a lender and you're lending to a dele- what we call a delegate. And then they make loans to an SPV that buys T-bills and posts them as collateral 
against that loan. So secured, there is an account control agreement in place. There is a perfected security charge and, and UCC filing over, over the brokerage account containing the T-bills. And it effectively means it's, it's a loan backed by other loans is, is the right way to think about it. So that's one structure. So think about it as debt-based. Then another one, so let's take Ondo, for example, because they're the, they're the largest player in the space. And so theirs is structured as an LP interest in a fund structure. So equity-based, fund structure-based. And then instead of owning the underlying T-bills, it's uh, the fund owns shares in the BlackRock ETF or, or, or something very similar. So very short-dated, not taking a ton of market risk, um, but it's more equity-based and it's done via a subscription agreement instead of a loan agreement. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you've got, you know, Open Eden is another one. Um, then Matrix Doc is another one. So Matrix Doc is a, is a product offered by Matrix Port. And, and that one has slightly higher origination and minting or minting and redemption fees um, when you subscribe. Um, but it's interestingly, actually, just to, to, to go back to Ondo, one of the interesting things they've done is they have Flux, which is like a decentralized lending protocol attached to the, the OUSG product. And then Matrix Doc has uh, got an interesting integration with a curve pool for additional liquidity, which I think is also interesting uh, for like it, you know, because they don't offer instant minting and redemption they have tried to give more liquidity by having the curve pool for a secondary liquidity, which I think is interesting. And then Open Eden's done a, another slightly different structure again, where they also have a float, so they can provide up to a you know up to the cap of the cash balance, the um, ability to instantly redeem. So each of these products has their own strengths and weaknesses. So subscribing to equity in a fund takes longer, takes a few days. So you you pay the money and then you wait a few days to get your token. Same on redemption. You you give up your token and you, you takes you a few days to get your funds back. What I like about what we've done is that you hold your token from the moment you deposit your stable coins and the moment you give your token back, which you know redemptions have been around 24 hours, you get your money instantly. So you're never actually out of pocket either asset. You either have the token or you have your funds. And um and so anyway, so I think I think that's like a nice uh, nice user experience. I think for someone looking at the space, it actually probably makes sense to have a diverse, like diverse, some diversification across these because you never know what could go wrong, whether it's smart contract issue or something else. Like what we've found is that you, you know, you want to have some level of diversification um, of your, you know, your different sources of risk when you're in crypto because you, ne you never know where the next black swan comes from. So I, I actually have a basic follow on. Um... Okay, so I'll I'll just break down what we what conversation that we had. I think maybe just for myself or somebody who doesn't truly understand the terms you guys are discussing. Um, so let's say what Maple does is basically uh, they will take your money, they will put it, they will buy T bills, put it in an SPV. SPV will will issue a loan against it, and you will use that loan as the main value, right? Uh, as a very basic step. Am I correct? Am I understanding that? Uh, Perfect. Similar. So, so you lend you lend your money to us. We lend it out and take T bills as collateral. As T bills as collateral, and then that's the yeah, so. Okay, delegate. Yeah. And the Ondo, what they do is basically, 
they will take your money and they will directly buy the T-bill, right? No, they buy an ETF. That, so they buy like a oh, BlackRock ETF. ETF. Sorry, the backlog, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, BlackRock ETF. Okay, perfect, yeah. perfect. So that's the major difference. And uh, both of these cases, I think, and even comparing the other, the metrics port ones and so on and so forth, what do you think is the requirement here for somebody who wants to ex- exit immediately? Like secondary liquidity in this current market. Let's say um, if I have my 25% funds in Maple, 25 in Ondo, 25 somewhere else, 25 in Metrixport, and I want my money back today. There is some fire in my house, right? Or there is some particular need of emergency. Um, how is it that me as a user can get access to these funds? Right? Like, um, is it that I will need to wait with every one of them? Like, what is the structure there uh, for an investor like you? Yeah. So, and and again, I'll, I'll try and give a I'll try and give a, a balanced and dispassionate critique of the the let's say four. <laughs> so, um, this this and, one's fair, actually. And, this one you can yeah, yeah, and, 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 but it's it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> this question so, is. So, uh, if 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 I wanted to get my money out as quickly as possible. So if I'm doing it in a small amount, um, I'll probably get my money first in order of speed, fastest to slowest. It would probably be, I think Open Eden, if it's small, because if they're carrying a float, they just buy it back. So it's instant. Matrix port, the matrix dock one, you could, if you can get it out of the curve pool. So if you're whitelisted and can trade it through the curve pool, you could also get instant secondary, like instant liquidity out. Then we can do about 20... Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, when you say curve, when you say curve pool, you mean like I can go to an LP and get my money out? Like, will there be liquidity available? And 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 can you get a little bit more? Can you explain us a little bit more on the curve pool side? How does that work? Uh, so there's the the matrix the the matrix stock token DVD. is in a curve pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with uh, yeah. stable coins, so you can take. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, perfect. You can yeah, so you can, you can take uh, your your funds out that way. Now, so it, it depends on size though. So um, if you're too large to take it out of the curve pool, for example, then you have to go through a redemption process. Now that one I think is about six months, um, as in there's like a minimum six month hold. Um, the third would have been us, which is about 24 hours. So we can do about a 24 hour redemption, and that's because surprise surprise, the the slowest part is is the banking wires. Um, so getting, you know, selling the T-bills, um, sending the money from, from one bank to another is, is, is the slowest, weakest portion of the chain. And then, um, then Ondo is about, uh, I think it's three to four days redemption. Cause they got to sell, they got to sell the BlackRock one wire funds, um, and then transfer you, your funds back. Now, if you're doing it at a larger amount, so if you're doing it at a larger amount, um, then Open Eden wouldn't be able to just buy your buy your token back with the float so that might take that that might um take a little bit of extra time and then the, the matrix port one if you can't take it through the curve pool like if you're too large then you would have to go through a minting and redemption process okay. so generally though the- like over, overall they're all relatively quick like you're talking a matter of days yeah, yeah. um yeah. in terms of the current solutions at the moment which is for most people's purposes, it's it's um it's fine. If you were like a yeah. high frequency trader and you needed it instantly for trading opportunities, you you know you, you probably wouldn't want it. But um, but anyway, for most, it's do good. do you see these getting getting faster or like I think this is like fast enough. I think a day is quite quite okay, right? 
I think it, I think a day is as probably as fast as we can get at the yeah. moment, short of, so where it can get faster is things like customer's bank, um, because you can instantly transfer, transfer funds from the broker to Coinbase and then on-ramp into USDC and, um, and make a repayment. So that, that's, that's where the, the additional speed could come from. I think FedNow was also just, um, just rolled out, which, which might also offer a, a speed uptick. But it's interesting that the slowest portion is is where it encounters the uh, the tradfi rails. Yeah, the web two guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but say, so I'm going to take a minute a here. Demand, uh, no, no, just please, one follow sorry. up on that one. Sorry, Ashish. Yeah, is there are your users demanding yeah. faster liquidity than 24 hours? Have you seen at, at requests? Like only that? so where 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 faster than 24 hour liquidity comes in is if you want to integrate with somebody. So if you're integrating with a prime broker, or let's say one of the on-chain PB, prime, PB being prime broker type platforms yeah. that does vaults. So Fractal, for example, uh, you know, we, we've, we've looked at, could we integrate the, uh, you know, the MPL cash LP token as collateral? And what they would need to be able to do then is if they're offering margin against it, they need to be able to close out and liquidate the position instantly. And so that's where having like a curve pool or some other way to get back to dollars quicker um, assist there because that that's their risk management. Otherwise they have to hold the position for 24 hours. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, first of all, I think, thank you so much for this particular good curve education. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually, this is getting real. Uh, like we are actually, I'm going to take a second and play that music. Why don't you also introduce, say, because we haven't done that yet. We need to use. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Way. That's where exactly <laughs> so, where I was going, going to, I was going to. Um, so thank you so much, Sid, first of all, for educating us on this one. And also we would love to know more about you. Um, why Maple, uh, why Sid, what, who is Sid and maybe just to get that drag going on and how do you know so much man, yeah. like what is that hook that got you into real world assets, what's your, what's your background, love to know the other side of Sid. Yeah, sure, sure, so I, I began, so my, my journey I guess in crypto began probably end of 2017, early 2018. But I came from banking. So while I was at banking, I was very much, I was reading Warren Buffett's commentary and, and thinking crypto is a scam. Like why, you know, why does Bitcoin have any price? And it, it, uh, it wasn't actually that I initially got onto, got onto Bitcoin or crypto in general as an investment first. It was kind of mid 2018. So I worked in, I worked in banking. I would do securitization. So my clients were lending companies and we would help them take out a really big loan from the bank or from um, insurance funds and other, you know, other fixed income investors. And then they'd make smaller loans. So they take out re one really huge loan, let's say a billion dollars, and they make out a lot of smaller loans, you know, 200, 200K, let's say. And uh, I went from deal side to client side because we would work with these really interesting entrepreneurial clients and, we, you know, we were making them rich, right? So they borrow from a bank at 2%, 3%. They lend out at 5%. They keep the spread. And they put down effectively five cents on the dollar or sometimes, you know, two or three cents on the dollar, depending if it was depending on the quality of the assets. So, you know, we, we, we were helping these entrepreneurial clients um, build a lot of wealth for themselves. 
they were building, you know, great businesses. And so I looked across and wanted what, you know, I wanted to learn how to build a business. And I started to realize that my, my trade was going to be plying lending. Right. So I went through this, <clears throat> I went through this moment where I thought, do I go back to university and learn coding to create a company or do I go to a different area of finance or do I stay in the same area of, you know, banking and lending and try and, you know, go to a different company. And in the end, I got headhunted to go to this lending company and they were doing equipment finance. So smaller loans to smaller businesses. And I was running the treasury there. So this meant kind of, I had to know all the aspects of the business, which was really helpful for understanding how a lending business works, like how the sausage is, how the sausage is made end to end. And, but I also had to project manage uh, all of, as, as we we're putting together lending facilities, I had to project manage uh, lawyers, um, custodians, uh, trustees, trust managers, ratings agencies, um, all the while sort of being across everything that was going internally at the business. And it was, it was, it was super, it was super manual to manage all of that. A lot of it is happening in manual calculations in spreadsheets. It's happening in, PDFs traded in email inboxes. And, uh, and then also you had these legal docs to be hundreds of pages of long that all just said, you know, if this, then that. And so I, that was that, that was the time I was learning about smart contracts and people were talking about doing like ISDAs that could be executed by code. And so I'm reading that and I'm, I'm scouring the internet for all these white papers to try and read and see if anyone was talking about loans on a blockchain. And there was a bit there, there were a few early ICO projects because this was, mid 2018 but i started thinking of how could we do what i had done securitization on chain and the mental experiment i was doing in my head was we could you know we would do seven tranche transactions maybe five to seven tranches of debt and so that's think of that as like a series of bonds where one bond is more senior than another and i had this idea in my head what if you could do a hundred tranche transaction where just every individual token is an individual tranche. And because it's done with code, you can make that infinitely scalable. And that's something you like if the manual uh, web two version of that would just break, but being able to code and automatically route all the money around would allow you to do that. But you could only do it on a blockchain. So, you, so we now hit a point where, just from an engineering perspective, you have something that can't be done in traditional finance that could only be done on a blockchain. And I started designing the idea for Maple around that with my co-founder, who also worked at that company. And then we we get into like 2019, and we're just putting our own money into this kind of concept with a, a software development firm. It's not really amounting to much, and. Um, it's because the, we were so early. So, you know, being too early is indistinguishable from being wrong. And people are saying, well, you're never going to have tokenized debt on chain. You had no yield bearing assets, <clears throat> but we kept plugging away, putting our money in. And so this was us putting in our reps and we're going through what Balaji kind of calls the idea maze, trying to find, you know, what, what's something that actually works. Like you can build some really cool tech, but if you don't find anyone who wants to buy it, you don't have a business. Absolutely. And yeah. so we, we realized that we would need to create the yield bearing assets on chain. So we're like, okay, well, we'll have to do the lending. We can't just be a securitization desk. And so then we, we found a developer at the end of 2019. And then we started, we had him build a basic peer to peer lending 
play. And then so then we're just like originating small loans with our savings to like anons who would chat to us um, through this this platform, um, which was called uh, Maple Loans or, or ETH, Lend, ETH, ETH Loans or something like that. And um, it was just really basic, but but it, it was enough to realize we didn't want to be in consumer lending. We didn't want to do peer-to-peer lending. And at this stage, I was also reading academic reports on how people would lose money on um, lending club. Yeah. And so, you know, on a, on a risk-adjusted basis, was it actually profitable to be a lending club lender? And I was like, why didn't, why didn't peer-to-peer lending work? And yeah. um, that was then how we, we evolved the concept to so, say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do a pool. So instead of syndicating every individual loan, we'll effectively <clears throat> syndicate a balance sheet for a lent, for an, an originator. And then we'll do like a tranche. So we'll have a senior and a junior to manage risk. And then it's a better experience for the borrower because they just come to one yeah. person who can tell them if they can borrow and tell them at what rate they yeah. can borrow. But that was that then evolved into the first concept for Maple. And then we and then we we raised funds and built that. So that was like mid two thirds of the way through 2020. But it was like it was a long time, right? That's 18 months of having gone through the wilderness and just thinking your idea was bullshit, yeah. and um, having to revise it a couple of times. And uh, but we we persisted, and then we found trading firms was the first use case of people who would be willing to borrow money on chain. Because imagine imagine you concoct this lending product on chain, and if you'd done it in 2017, well there were there were like no stable coins. If you'd done it in, um, and then if, if you'd done it in 2018, 2019, there were hardly any trading firms, not trading firms who would borrow like stables. And so yeah. really you ne- we needed some evolution in the space for this idea to, to, to be able to work and, and to actually fit into, um, into an environment that could take it. Yeah. Like, so the mix like of all magic. Is... Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. The timing is one of the biggest. Then, things that needs to work. Yeah. yeah. But if I summarize yeah. that, then so I th- it's legal paperwork yeah, that drove you into this, right? In a sense. It, <laughs> what... it, well, sort sort of, it's, um, it's, it's project, it's project management. Like I think of, we, we, we took something that was like five different people on a team and then we turned it into a product. So theoretically at, a, at, at the most basic level, we just save you money if you're running a lending business. Yeah. Like you, you don't have some analyst crunching spreadsheets and then sending emails to report on it. We just like, you know, every loan is an entry on the blockchain. We have a dashboard that can automatically read that. Like you can't build a dashboard that's gonna read loans coming in from multiple bank accounts. That's like incredibly difficult and costly to build. But to do it on a blockchain is trivially easy. Anyone who knows SQL can go and do it on a June dashboard. Um, And uh, And then the added complexity of confidence is just impossible, like you said, to scale, you know, uh, any of, uh, yeah. 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 I think um one of them I think one of the mistakes people did early on was they tried to make it too let, let's say you have uh the map and the territory, right? And the, the map the map is your representation of, of a lending business and then the territory is what you're actually doing. And people tried to make this crypto abstraction of it too high fidelity to to a complex securitization that happens in the real world. And so you had all these projects who were just spinning their wheels, burning funds, trying to make something so complex that needed, that looked exactly like a real world securitization. Well, think about that. Why is a trustee going to like buy into your idea of doing this on chain when you're putting them out of work? So all these, all these early attempts to do securitize on chain just seems stupid to me, um, as in securitization, because 
you were you were trying to sell it to a bunch of people who would be put out of a job if your idea takes off. I think following up on this, what do you think is next for RWA? Like, like I think you have seen the past, we have seen the current yeah. that's happening. Uh, where do you see this evolving as a real world asset? And I think even considering the custodian, the legal part, binding all that together, um, we all claim self custody, but we all pivot down to that whole of Web two, right? Eventually, we have somebody that has to take an action for us. Um, where do you see the yeah. overall ecosystem evolving and? especially with some laws coming in favorable, what is like that mm-hmm. law that may just like kick this all off? Like it'll just like maybe do this, right? <laughs> it'll just ballpark this thing. Uh, good question. Good question. And and not a, not a small question by any stretch. Yeah. So yeah. I think if I look at the, the early ideas for RWA, so real world asset lending, were a lot around property. And the, the the driver of that was it's this eye-poppingly huge market. The problem is it's one where there's also a lot of very, actually pretty efficient pricing in terms of cost of capital and just a huge throughput of volume. So standing out in that market was pretty hard. And um, finding an edge, like somebody who really wanted your product was, was hard. So, um, so property kind of lagged like as in real estate lagged on chain i think it will come there eventually but it just it, it's not going to be the uh, it's not going to be the scene of early adoption in my view where there's an advantage in rwas is shorter shorter uh duration so i think accounts receivable trade finance supply chain finance um invoice factoring you know any any of this class that you guys are very familiar with which is shorter dated um yeah. Short up, shout out, Polytrade. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, worth it, worth it. And um, yeah. so you got shorter date of debt. It's got to be higher <clears throat> yield. So at the moment, treasuries are what, five, five and a half, five and a half on, on one month. So people want um, uh, people want something that meaningfully beats treasuries if they're going to take the extra risk. And so you got to be able to clear 10%. And then you got to have good collateral packages. So, you know, accounts receivable finance can be pretty good because you could lend to a company that ultimately sells to Walmart and then your real look-through risk is not that company, it's Walmart. So, uh, and also for trade finance, sometimes you can get uh, an insurance firm that, that provides a guarantee. So you're already guaranteed for like 90% of your principal. So what you're being paid for in a lot of those instances is not really the credit risk. You're being paid for just liquidity. Smaller shops, when they deal with larger companies, get 90 days or 120 or 150 day terms. And so you're just being paid to give them money sooner when their counterparties are really actually very good credits. And so you're not really being paid for the credit risk. You're just being paid for the fact that there's a a huge bargaining imbalance between the small company and the large one, and the large one leverages that against them. And so as long as you can kind of warehouse warehouse that uh, balance sheet, then you get paid for it. And so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but I think real world, real world assets is going to trend towards shorter dated, like accounts receivable type finance. You know, there, there are folks like yourselves trying to do that. The key blocker at the moment is just supply of lending capital. And so that's where we're going to do a really good job of highlighting, as I said before, the, like the competitive advantage of doing this on chain in terms of you get return of capital faster than a credit fund. And you get, you know, it's a more compelling fee structure where, you know, it's just, it's just a, a, a variable percentage of interest earned um, rather than, you know, like a two and 20 structure. 
Um, I think Trade Finance is also about access. It, so, uh, you know, this yeah. is not an accessible asset class for, mm. you know, most no, 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 nobody knows where, like, yeah, for, for most people as importers and also for the, the firms doing importing and exporting, like most of them don't know who to call to go and get finance. So it's a, it's a very illegible OTC market. And then your, you know, your, your family office or your high net worth investor doesn't know where to go to actually get access to the deal flow to, to put their capital to work. So having that Give the legibility of blockchain helps the aggregation properties of blockchain platforms help with this and ultimately that's my view of why all finance will eventually move on blockchain because for you as well this is also a an asset class trade finance international trade finance is one where you have overseas payment processing and currently the best that tradfi can do is text messages between banks that's what swift is and versus think of think of that as that's the difference between um, the difference between uh, Swift and blockchain is the difference between a game of Chinese whispers with text messages and just an email directly to the end person that you want to send money to. And so in trade finance, you often see that sub a fund who's doing that as a business will often find their, their transfers get lost in the banking system. They get bounced or reverted, or they might get stalled for days or weeks even. And that's no way to conduct a business. Whereas your your co the cost of operating this as a blockchain company is um it takes 15 seconds to send money it hits you know first time every time um it's it's not going to revert or bounce and um and there, there's no interchange cost you don't pay you don't you don't end up paying like five percent on interchange it, it costs you hardly anything to send it so i think when you said it will not revert or bounce don't you think it's even scarier for an institute that it will not revert bounce and you'll just lose it if you send it wrong? Well, if you read the disclosures in when you send a wire through the bank, it says if you get these details wrong, you're just going to lose your money. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for example, we, we've been trying to pay a commission on um, to, a, to a broker for, for um, uh, an internal service that we had. So it was like it was like an insurance policy. And it's now bounced seven times. Like we've been trying to send this wire for seven months. And if they just had a USDC address, we would have got this done in 15 <clears> seconds <throat> on the first time. But because we have to go, like every time it bounces, we have to go and get the details and then try sending again. We're, we're up to the seventh or eighth attempt at that. Wow. Wow. But you're absolutely right. Like globally in trade finance, it's an issue. You know, it takes a long time to settle. And, and you... Mm. And especially if you're getting business for a new buyer, it's the first time they're putting in your details, that's, that's, that can go wrong very easily, right? And, and that's absolutely a question. But the same thing applies, said for the securitization you were talking about, right? So how easy is it on the blockchain to securitize versus actually spinning up? Uh, the that, that was the other thing I was going to make. Back, right? is, I mean, I was we're just saving gonna, 15 days, gonna... like, and yeah. you're saving so much interest. Like you don't, you don't need to waste that time when you start making money instant. Custody is instant, yeah. securitization is instant, settlements instant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you save you save um, you save on all of that. And the way I think about it is, uh, I remember reading this book. Uh, I remember reading this book, and I think it was called Railroader, and it was it was about this guy Hunter Harrison who kind of revolutionized 
running a railroad in call it like the 60s or 70s so he just absolutely crushed it on the operating metrics but his his critical insight was you had to keep the trains moving like a network so you have to keep keep latency low before what they used to do is they would wait for a really big train to build so think you know like 100 cars and then they'd send it off instead what he said is no, no, if it's 20 cars or if it's 30 cars or if it's 40 cars, it's, it just goes off at the same time each day and you've got to keep the network moving so you keep lo- latency low. And uh, yeah, anyway, he, he crushed it in the operating ratios. And that's the way I think about running a financial network is you want to keep latency low. And so when you're running a finance business and your capital is held, you know, might take 15 days to settle, stuff like that, that, that is... That is shitty latency and it's a bad way of running a finance business you want to keep network uptime which is the amount of time your finance is deployed um you know as as close to 100 percent as possible or as as high as you can get it while still having meaningful liquidity for what your estimated liquidity needs are and um the only way to do that is with a blockchain you can't do that with traditional rails just you specifically need the asset and the, so, so the, the stable coin on the, the settlement token and the asset itself to kind of be in the same network, right? For that to work really, really well. You need the so, stable so the loan coin. So the LP token and, yeah. and the stable coin yeah. is what I mean, right? So SWIFT is only, it's only fiat, it's just money. But the asset is going to yeah. take a whole other bunch of time for it to, it to deliver. Um, so both of those yeah. being on the same network and the network itself being really fast is, is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's what will, yeah, and to, to go off track, I think, I think that's what will potentially delay CBDCs is that like the, I don't know that the bank networks could really be upgraded to handle them. So I think, see, I think instead you'll have private stablecoin issuers will be the way in the, in the same way that we have like, you know, private fixed network, fixed line network infrastructure and private banking services at the moment. But when you, when you have that, when you have broader stablecoin adoption, the financial system is just going to go so much faster and you can have more velocity So think of the number. Think of like, if think of, if you have a business that makes a $1 on every transaction, let's say like a merchant or something, if you just increase the number of transactions per year, then the GDP will grow because you've reduced the latency on finance. You reduce the number of time, the amount of time that money M2 in that financial system is sitting on. Yeah. It's sitting unutilized and unproductive. Yeah. Yeah. So I think coming on too, right? one, we can do... yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we, we one, bang that one of the other things, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I was going to say is when you can have AI managing money because it can like AI agents can send it on a blockchain, then you get like, I think you get real pretty meaningful GDP growth out of it. Yeah. And, and I, I was just adding to that. I was, I was just adding to that the point that I think... <clears throat> We have realized, I think the more important, the more important, at least the number for us to track is the total volume disbursed for us, right? How many times can we spend mm-hmm. the money in the same year is more important for us yeah. to track rather than to see how much money we can get on the platform. <coughs> Obviously, it's important for us to get a million dollars, but the bigger number is that how many times have we used this million dollars? Like if you're giving 10% on a million dollars and we're not getting it deployed the full year, we are, we are, we might, we may be just losing money on it. So for us to even yeah. keep cater to more numbers to get that money utilized at a hundred percent variable. Yeah. Yeah. That's that true. utilization level. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think uh, like now yeah, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. I think we, we will touch an hour. Um, another question that I have, and maybe one of the last few, I think, uh, Milan, you can ask one more. Um, what do you think about discoverability of real world assets? Right. I think we all are working in silos. Right. Every one of us is in one corner trying to change the world. Um, if that, if NFTs were trying to be sold in one different corner, would NFT be where they are? And do you think we guys need to banner up together and maybe not do, maybe not, maybe not collaborate, but maybe come together and make one flea market together. Do you think that is something that we should do more for discoverability? Uh, where can our, so that was going to be my like, question. If we all go together. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So if we all go towards, if we go, if we, if we invite people to the flea market, I think we'll get more people together. Uh, what do you think about that? Like a sing a single a single as in a single venue for all RWAs. Yeah, yeah. But there's different there's different ways to think about it because you could have a single call it a single marketplace, Amazon, let's say, for RWAs. Yeah. But another way to think about it is a shared standard. So having it all on a single blockchain. So let's say all RWAs went to Ethereum or an RWA specific you know, app chain or, or blockchain, then I think either case would be um, either case would be interesting. Um, the question then is, how do you, you know, do, do we all then get commoditized? Because as, as a player in the RWA space, whilst having liquidity is good, being a commodity is, is bad. Look at all the carriers who, you know, were commoditized by um, Apple, Apple's phone. Uh, but as a near-term tool to aggregate liquidity, I think it's very interesting. So if you could have, you know, Polytrade's RWAs, Maple's RWAs, Ondo's RWAs, Centrifuge's RWAs, Goldfinch's RWAs, in a very easy, accessible place, I think there's, I think there's a, a benefit to that. Some people are trying to do that on the aggregation layer. Like if you look at RWA.xyz, I think those guys yeah. um, have a vision of, of being the go-to place for you know yeah. for this type of asset discovering these yeah 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 discovery all, is important yeah we're exploring a down we're exploring something in that genre i think maybe in the coming months or something we will see something there too yeah um another one that's interesting as well is you know you can have discoverability but you can also have legitimacy so people you know how do people know that something's kind of like meets a certain minimum standard of best practice in crypto, as, as we all know, we're, we're all generally regarded by outsiders as um, hooligans and it's a bit of, you know, it's, it's the Wild West. The Wild West. But, uh, yeah, I, I recently joined a, you know, what hopes to be an, an industry association called the Crypto Credit Association, which is, you know, anyone in the space I, w- I would encourage to join because it's really just about saying, okay, here's pooling our knowledge, here's what we think best practices are. And, you know, members of that association try and uphold certain standards of risk management. And so it's it's like a good place for outsiders who are not familiar with crypto lending to kind of look to for, you know, as a bit of a lightning rod for, for best practices. That's, that's yeah, great. I think, I think we should also think of getting involved. Yeah, we should do that, for sure. Take that offline. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Successful plot. So should we come so, to the last fun part? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you should take this one, Milan. Uh, I just want to see one, how it one goes. One this one question each. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can do uh, that. We can do one Absolutely. question each. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so, Sid, anything else you want to touch upon before uh, we wrap yeah. it up with this quick fire round? No, no, let's do it. I think this has been great. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. It's actually. been quite it was. Yeah, it's been. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, it's been. It's been. I'm. Quite I'm. I'm gonna have some pop-ups come over with when you guys are talking <laughs> to explain those terms to people while they're listening. <laughs> like, get those things going. <laughs> okay, so then let's let's wrap up um, yeah. with the quick fire sets. So um, you just need to answer the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I'm just gonna ask you five questions here. Um, so, favorite mm-hmm. NFT project at the moment. So it's it's uh, it's an oldie favorite, but it's called Crypto Cities, and they do these kind of isomorphic grids, small little grids of uh, cities, real ones and fictional ones. So I think they had like even you know they have ones from Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. But I loved I loved the one they had of uh, Sydney in there because that's you know that's where I was living in 2021, and uh, unfortunately the floor price was too high too high for me to go and buy any but uh that's that's uh that's an old uh definite favorite is it now now is the time yeah, to buy it i have to i have to check again i have to check again actually it's probably a lot more affordable than it was yeah okay so next question your favorite unknown rw project like the the guys that have just come in or that you've recently heard of uh this, this is a new one, and, but a new one, but a novel one. But I'm, I'm interested in uh, trips, I think is pretty interesting because I've been talking to the founder there who's he's interested in, in turning um, create call it creators on YouTube and tokenizing their tokenizing their copyright rights. So if you're if you're a creator on YouTube and you're making a cooking channel, let's say, and let's say you make 50K a year you could tokenize that stream of 50k a year. I think it's interesting for me because it's a digital native, you know, web3 tokenized asset where there's not necessarily this, you know, this legacy tradfi corollary of it that kind of brings technical baggage. It's it's entirely new and I think um, I'm really interested to see how something like that does. So that was called trips. It's all digital. There's another one. Yeah, I think I've, I, I have actually seen them. That uh, do these guys do these cards? Like, do these do, do they do three cards? You can get the first one at $45, the second one at 500 and so on and so forth. And according to the card you do, that's the amount of ratio you will get in that particular uh, creator. Something like that, right? Not sure. It could, it could be. That could be a different one. But I, th- I think that, that space is in general. So yeah. finance against creator yeah. royalties and income, I think, is going to be really yeah. big. Yeah. And that's fully digital, yeah. So, so I agree. Yeah. That's that's an easier um, circle to close. So, next one, um, said, uh, uh, what's your favorite book or something you're reading right now that you really enjoy? Um, I do. I do do a lot of reading. I do a lot of audio books um, because I find as I as I get older and also as I spend so much time in front of the computer, it's harder for me to sit still and read a book. So, I like to go walk or uh, <laughs> go for a run or something and listen to it. Uh, so I've been getting, I, th- I think you have to be in this space, you have to be like a really deep student of, uh, financial history. So I, couple, couple of crackers I read recently were, um, the house of Morgan, uh, by Ron Chernoff, which is like a, a history of, um, not just JP Morgan, but the entire bank. I also read one of, um, Goldman Sachs, which was, uh, called the partnership, which was really good. Um, 
But if I had to say, like, kind of general favorite book, um, I think A Cent of Money is really good. Like, I, I don't think you can beat it for, like, overall history of, of finance. And then a favorite biography, because I think biographies are really important, is um, uh, Titan, which is the, um, the life of John D. Rockefeller. But I think seeing how, like, stoic he was how well he uh he built that business because in the age of zero interest rates a lot of people think businesses get built really quickly but this is a guy who just painstakingly built it for a decade after decade into the biggest most important company in the world and is arguably i think the greatest entrepreneur in history i think i'm going to read this one first now after this yeah so uh uh, second last question is what's your favorite food like what's your go-to comfort food (laughs) Uh, my go-to comfort food is chicken wraps. So oh. I like chicken wraps and then chicken tacos as well. Two of my favorites. Actually, I, I, I should give a plug. I, um, pretty much every day I eat a peanut butter sandwich. So that's, uh, that's <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I don't think a day goes past where I don't have, have one. <laughs> is it skippy all the way? Yeah, 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 100%. Oh God, I think, yeah, I think that, that's a wrap. All right. Thank um, you. So, and uh, we can sign off too, Milind, I think. Oh, yeah. How, how do you do that? <laughs> what, what I, 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 I'm, I'm still thinking how to do that. Hey, guys, thank you for joining. I'm Ashish, uh, Chief Product Officer at Polytrade. Um, hoping to catch up with you next time with somebody great. Thanks for, having, yeah. ha- thanks for having me on, guys. It was a pleasure.